Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Saturday Night Supper Club podcast. This week, we're hearing from my good friend, David Klodfelder, in a message titled, In His Likeness. This is continuing our sermon series, This Is Us, talking about the DNA of Supper Club, who we are, what we're all about, and what we truly believe. In His Likeness refers to the fact that we are made in the image of God. And I think as Christians, we don't always know the weight that that carries. And since we believe other people are made in the image of God, we don't know the value that the Lord puts on that and how we're supposed to relate to each other. So David dives into this. He has a high value for good theology because he has a degree in theology, but he makes biblical text very approachable and he has very engaging way of speaking. Enjoy. Now, before we get started, I just want to uh, first go over what we've been talking about. This is us. It's been our sermon series for the past three weeks now. And for those of you who have been here and haven't, we've really been divulging what it means to be us as this core group of people, as a community. What is our DNA? What does it mean to be a part of this world in our own unique sense, you know? So um, I want to continue on with our sermon series for today, or sermon today, In His Likeness. Um, One thing that's really important to me is really good theology. As a Bible major, I really enjoy delving into the deep stuff of God, right? Um, unfortunately, I've had friends and, and um, colleagues and mentors come up to me and be like, oh, what's your major? Oh, I'm a Bible major. You know, I love studying the Bible and theology and whatnot. And it's kind of disheartening when they say, oh, that's great, fine and dandy, but you know, that stuff is so intellectual, so lofty. There's really no relevancy to it in the everyday church. Um, all you need in the church is to love God, love people, and have a willingness to go out and um, preach the good news, which is great. You know, it's, it's awesome. I agree with it 100%. <laughs> but when I hear that in the context of after me saying how much I love theology, all I hear is, you wasted your time on that degree. Go be a missionary. That's all I hear. Um, and that can be kind of disheartening because I really believe that Christians shouldn't lose out on the benefit of good doctrine on sound theology because it's seemingly too lofty. It's too hard to reach um, and that it's not pertinent to the everyday Christian. So hopefully tonight, as we dive into something very very deep, the image of God, what it means to be made in his likeness, um, I can help bridge that gap. It's a real passion of mine is to bridge that gap between these lofty ideas and bring them to a level that's accessible and impactful. Um, I also really believe that um, to be made in the image of God is core to who we are. As we continue this, this is us. We're talking about our DNA as as this church, as a congregation, and as Christians in general. I do believe a real strong, firm understanding of what it means to be made in his image is important. And so, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 1, starting at the beginning. How exciting, right? It's real easy to find. It's the beginning of the, uh, the Bible. Um, we're going to go on chapter 1, verse 26. All right. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, 
according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So, little story real quick. Uh, When I was little, and I first heard about this, about what it means to be made in the image of God, um, and I read this, I always thought, I have two legs, I have two arms, I've got two eyes, hair, nose, mouth. The reason I have those things is because God has two legs, two arms, two eyes, hair, nose, mouth. I always thought that it was this, like, physicality kind of thing, you know? But when you get older, you realize, no, that's not necessarily true. You know, that just is talking about this spiritual relationship we have with God, right? Well, ha, ha, ha. Little baby scholar me is actually more right than uh, I gave myself credit. The Hebrew word for image is salem. And throughout the Bible, it is typically, typically means a physical resemblance. So in fact, to be made in the image of God is to actually almost have a physical likeness to God. Most of the time, this is used when referring to like idols. One big thing that um, God hates is idolatry, if you didn't know. Um, But whenever a culture in the ancient times uh, would make a statue, it's usually to represent some aspect or characteristic of a deity they believe in. So let's say you're in... Um, some culture and you believe in the deity, I don't know, let's name him Jim, all right? And Jim is strong. He's, he's the god of strength and war and, and virility, whatever you want to call it, right? So in your culture, what represents strength? Maybe it's, maybe it's an ox. And so you're going to make an ox idol, an ox statue to represent your deity, Jim, because an ox represents strength and Jim is the God of strength, right? And so that's what typically this Salem was referring to. And there's also another meaning, the one that we're going to be looking at more today, and it's found in more of the poetic books like Psalms, and it can also mean shadow. It's also often, uh, the RSV translates it as shadow or phantasm. And um, John Piper says this about that meaning. It means a resemblance or reflection of something greater. Now, if you look at our passage, it's right at the end of the creation series. It's day six. What represents or what makes human beings distinct? Why is it that God made humans in his likeness and nothing else? Um, humans are imbued with special qualities that you don't find anywhere else on the planet. For one, since we're the last to be made, that typically means we are God's masterpiece. Um, it signifies our, his crown achievement in creation. We are the epitome of what God created. We are number one, numero uno. Um, in our passage, it also says God tells the men and women to take dominion over the earth. So we have a, a uh, job to rule things, to take dominion of this earth over the fish of the sea, the, la- the animals of the land. Um, There's other things as well that makes us distinct. We have an ability to reason. The fact that I can stand here and explain to you what it means to be made in the image of God is because I'm made in the image of God. The fact that we can reason, we can um, read, we can do all these amazing amazing things that other animals can't makes us distinct because we're made in the image of God, right? 
And finally, it means that we are co-creators. Um, we have a creativity. One of my favorite things is when David, it, I don't know how true this is, but it's rumored that David had created over 200 different instruments all to worship God. He invented them like there never existed before, and he loved God so much that he created over 200 instruments, right? Um, fun fact, the Temple of Solomon was actually David's idea. God didn't say, yo, David, I need you to go make a temple for me because I don't have one. That, God didn't do that. It was all King David. Unfortunately, he didn't actually build it. His son built it. That's why it's the Temple of Solomon. But it was David's idea. It was his, his uh, creativity that, that brought forth one of the great wonders of the world, in my opinion. Um, but for tonight, we're actually going to look at something else. Uh, if you'll go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 5, it's not that far away. And Genesis chapter 5 is the beginning of a list of Adam's descendants. And at the beginning, in chapter 1, it says, or we're actually going to skip to verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. We'll stop right there. That's the exact same phraseology as what we just saw a minute ago. In his likeness, according to his image. Seth is the son of Adam. So, as Seth is the son of Adam, created in Adam's likeness, so are we, the sons and daughters of God, created in his likeness. We are the descendants of God, his progeny here on earth. Um, it, familial uh, lineage is very important throughout the Bible. It's, I mean, the entire first chapter of Matthew is just saying, Jesus is related to these people through all of these fathers. Generation um, is... Generations are extremely important. And Seth was the continuation of the line of Adam because God promises Adam certain blessings that are going to be passed on to his descendants. And it's through Seth and then through Seth's son and then so on and so forth that these blessings and promises are fulfilled. And so we are, um, Seth was a legacy for Adam. We as human beings are a legacy of God. We our co-creators and co-rulers and the legacy that God has set forth on this planet to rule with him and alongside him. It's really cool stuff, right? Yeah. So now, like I said before, trying to bridge the gap of the lofty and making it accessible, um, one thing that really helps is practicality. What does it actually mean to be a son or a daughter of God, right? Um, how many of you like Pink Floyd? You all know Pink Floyd? Okay. Uh, name the best slash most popular Pink Floyd album ever. Dark Side of the Moon. I could be wrong, but that's what I'm going to use for my, my example. Dark Side of the Moon. So picture that album cover. You've got a prism, right? It's the, the classic prism, white light going in, and then all the colors of the rainbow coming out. That's going to be our analogy for what it means to be made in the image of God tonight. <laughs> um, God is this is amazing in that everything is in him. He is, he is everything. It sounds very lofty, sounds very like out there, but just, just roll with me, okay? God is going to be the white light in this album cover picture, okay? Hits the prism, splits into a bunch of different colors, right? That's us. We 
are a reflection and an expression of God. God is so much greater than us. He is this infinite being, right? And we're only finite, limited people. But we can represent different aspects of God. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be red tonight because I'm wearing red. So I, I am God's red expression in this sense. Christian is wearing blue. He'll be the blue. Emma will also be red. We've got however you want to be. We're all different colors, right? But the beauty is, is that God contains all of those. That God is every single one of those colors because that's what white light is, right? And so diversity is great because we can all express different aspects of God better than other people. This manifests itself in another way, which is what I really love, and that's people's gifts and people's talents, their strengths. Everyone is good at something, right? Um, for example, Jane and Sarah, they have a gift for worship. I just know it. Um, when they started singing that, what a beautiful name it is, that song really getting into it, it brought um, the level to a, a place where I actually had to like kind of wipe my eyes because I was starting to cry. It was really powerful. And that's because, of, that's because of the image that they have in them. That is what makes them amazing, right? And everyone has a different strength or talent. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, plug Bob here. If you don't know what your talent is or what your gift is, talk to him. He has an entire class on it. Um, he can give you a packet you can fill out to help give you an idea of what, what it is you're good at. Now, this is all fine and dandy, right? But we're going to um, switch gears here and talk about the implications. Because there are some implications to this. And I may end up stepping on some toes here, but, you know, deal with it. I'm the one with the microphone. <laughs> so this idea that we are made in God's image, in his likeness, applies to both believers and non-believers. It's not just Christians who get to uh, experience all of this. Um, both believers and non-believers, people you meet on the street that you may not ever think would be made in God's image, they might be, I don't know, just completely disagree with you, whether it's politically or they look physically different from you or they have different set of religious beliefs from you, guess what? They're still made in the image of God. They're also bestowed with gifts and talents, just like we are. Everyone is good at something, right? Those gifts and those talents were instilled in them and in us at creation, at birth, at the beginning. And it's funny because God has a really really interesting habit of using the least likely people to forward his agenda, right? You're just like, why, God, why are you using this person? In uh, the end of Numbers, God uses a guy named Balaam. This guy's really cool, kind of, um, in that uh, one, one commentator describes him as a mercenary diviner. People hire him to uh, put curses on people, their enemies usually. And so this guy named Balaam, uh, he gets hired by uh, Balak, son of Zippor, to pretty much curse the Israelites. Because, yeah, I know, right? It's great. Oh, fun fact. <laughs> fun fact, Balaam is from a land called Amah on the other side of the Euphrates. 
I don't know. There's your trivia question for the night. Whatever. <laughs> um, but Balak hires Balaam because he's afraid of the Israelites. He's like, bro, these guys, there's a lot of them. They're coming into my place. I don't like this. Can you come and do your thing and start cursing them? Right? Because that's what he's good at. That's his talent is having this spiritual connection, however that manifests itself. Unfortunately, he uses it in uh, kind of corrupt ways as curses and not blessings, but God's like, nah, I'm going to encounter this person and actually change that curse into a blessing. And so later down in the story, he ends up going to uh, uh, this place where he's supposed to fling those curses onto the Israelites, and he ends up blessing them, and the Israelites become blessed in that way. This is a guy who's not an Israelite. He is a foreigner. He is who, he is not a Jew. He's a mercenary diviner. He's a prophet of some other God. This is not someone you would think uh, would be used by God in any way other than like, you know, to be a target, right? And here he is, <laughs> here he is blessing God's people. What I get from that story is that when something good is done, it's from God. It's not from the person. It, well, it is from the person in so much as it's the manifestation, manifestation of that God reflection, that God expression that they're instilled with. And so that means you could have someone completely, you could have a Buddhist do something amazing for humanity, and it's from God. I firmly believe it's from God because that's just who he is. He uses everyone, whether they know it or not. Fun fact, you don't have to believe in God for him to still use you, right? There's also another implication that I want to talk about. And that means that these people, whether they're believer or not, these other people out in the world, doesn't matter who they are, they are owed, owed a certain level of respect and decency. I'm going to say that again. They are owed a certain level of respect and decency. We can go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 9, if you will, and I'll explain why, why they are owed this. In Genesis uh, chapter 9, this is post-flood. God is talking to Noah after the whole ark incident. Um, and he's explaining to him how, you know, uh, <laughs> the ark incident, right? I know. So he's, he's talking to him, be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply, right? Um, he's pretty much saying, y'all don't have to be vegetarians anymore. I'm allowing you to eat animals, right? However, there's one, there's one exception. It's in chapter 9, verse 6. Um... Whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed. For in his own image, God made humankind. Sounds kind of weird, right? But basically what that means is, if you kill a person, you're killing a person who was made in the image of God. Just by that sentence, there is an inherent value and worth that each person is granted at birth. Right? Now, some of you might be like, yeah, that's great, that's awesome. And it's because it's basic foundation of ethics, right? You know, it's just being a good person is treating everyone with respect. However, a lot of the times I think we forget 
that we don't always treat people that way. That we sometimes, whether we know it or not, play the ignorant card and be like, oh, yeah, 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 of course I believe that, but all these other things, right? We will encounter people in our lives um, who will not be like us, but again, they're still owed respect and dignity. They have their own talents, their own strengths, as we saw before. That's what it means to be made in the image of God, is to have talents and strengths and gifts that will manifest themselves to do good things. Unfortunately, because of the fall, they might be dimmed or faded. That light, you know, me being red and Christian being blue, maybe it's a much darker, uh, grayer red, you know, because of the fall. I mean, that's a big part of who we are in Christianity and the world. Bad things still happen. I mean, the entire war over in the Middle East, ISIS, all these things are manifestations of the fall, right? But although our light is faded, it's still not gone, right? We still have things to do. We still have ways where we can manifest um, those abilities and do good things. That's why you still see, um, despite all the bad in the world, there's still good things, and it doesn't necessarily have to be sourced from a church or a religious nonprofit. It can be from anywhere. Look at um, Bill Gates, for example. Uh, amazing man, gifted with brilliance, changed computers forever, right? He does some amazing things now that he's stepped down from Microsoft. He's probably the richest philanthropist ever to exist. He has single-handedly funded some of the greatest um, medical advances in Africa because that's his heart is for people, right? He's not a believer, at least not that I know of. You know, I don't even think he believes in God. He might, he's probably an atheist. Does that detract from the fact that he's done all these amazingly good things? No, it doesn't. But we as people, I think, have a habit of doing this thing I call snap judgments where we say, yeah, da-da-da-da, these good things happen, but there's this one flaw, and that's going to disqualify anything good that they've ever done, right? We don't even realize we're doing it, I don't think. That's where that ignorance comes into. For example, um, we'll start with one from my life. Uh, <laughs> not that big of a deal, but it took me a while to realize what I was doing. Um, how many of you know who Liam Neeson is? Liam Neeson? Yeah, great guy, great actor, right? Did this uh, really cool movie, uh, Taken, I think it's called, right? He, like, goes and, you know, has a certain set of skills, whatever, you know. He's, he's a BA in that. He's an awesome, awesome action star, right? Funny thing is that years later, I find out that he is not a gun guy in real life. Now, I like guns. I got a gun for Christmas. It was awesome. I love it, and I want to shoot it again soon. I believe in our right to bear arms. So when I heard that Liam Neeson is like, I think we should get rid of all guns, this dude who's an action star in this movie, Taken, right, who's doing all this cool BA stuff with guns and martial arts and stuff, he's like some pacifist in real life. And that threw me for a loop. I'm like, wait a second. How can you do this in that? It, it, it's hard for me to go and see another... Uh, Liam Neeson movie because of that, because I know these secret things about them, <laughs> right? right? It's weird, but um, should that detract from the great movie Taken? Nah, no, it doesn't, right? Okay, that was kind of a lighthearted example, but there's other ones 
especially in the time we're now with this uh, change in power, you know, in the political world, I think this is more relevant than ever. You might be, yeah, they're a great guy. You know, they do really cool things, but he's a Republican. Or, yeah, you know, she's great. She had this amazing speech, but she's a liberal. You know, we do this all the time without us realizing it, I think, is that we say all these nice things just to make ourselves feel better, but then be like, but the truth is, they're this bad thing. They're this horrible thing. They are their wickedness. They are their sin, not who God has called them to be, right? And so here's, here's the problem with doing that, is that the moment you make that snap judgment that, yeah, but in reality, whatever, you are not only denying that person's worth, you're coming into opposition with God himself. Let that sink for a moment. Not only are you denying the person's worth, you are coming into opposition with God himself because he is the one who instilled them with their passions and with their gifts and with their talents. So for you to say, nah, that doesn't matter, you're saying, nah, God, you don't matter. You didn't actually do a good work. That's not a good place to be in, let me tell you. You don't want to be in that spot. You don't want to be in God's crosshairs because, I mean, he can pretty much do anything, right? <laughs> um, so, like mom said, I graduated from John Brown. One of my favorite professors there, his name's Professor Vila. He's awesome. He's in charge of the, pretty much the whole, like, Islamic studies there, as well as one of the main Bible professors. I got to go to Jordan with him, uh, man, it was almost three years ago for a, a trip. It was amazing. He has this, this uh, reputation, kind of, for whenever a student would come into his office to do, like, they need help on a, a paper that they're writing for him, right? And it's like, I really need help. I'm just not a good paper writer. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not smart enough. I'm too stupid. Uh-uh. Not for Professor Vila. You can't call yourself stupid. Because if you're calling yourself stupid, you're calling a creation of God stupid. And you're coming against God. And you know what that is? That's heresy. You're being a heretic. You can't, you can't go and say that, you can't go and make a judgment against something that God has created because he created it. Whatever he says goes. You don't get to change it. You can't change his mind on, on things like that. So what I propose is that we, um, we reverse what we've been doing, these snap judgments, right? For the past, you know, however, however long we've been doing it, we've been busy, too busy looking at like, yeah, I know you're a great singer, or I know you're an awesome painter, or I know you have a heart for people, but you're an alcoholic. You are addicted to drugs. You have anger issues. So, you know, we need to fix those things first. That's not how we should be doing this. Instead, we should be mining the gold in people. We should be, as <laughs> my pastor in Tokyo, when I did YWAM, would say, we gotta find the diamonds in the poop. <laughs> Now, <laughs> I will admit that some people might be a little crappier than others, and that's okay, because guess what? They are still owed a certain amount of decency and respect, right? So instead, let's do this. Instead, let's say, I know you're an alcoholic. I know you're addicted to drugs. I know you have anger issues, 
but you're an amazing singer. You can paint some of the most amazing portraits, and you have a heart for people, the heart of God. See how just, just reversing it flips it. Instead of focusing on the bad, we focus on the good. We focus on the good in people, and we bring it out, right? Um, another story from my <laughs> professor, this one's pretty funny, is he had this saying called, um, basically, Bible-believing Christians. So whenever we'd be in a theology class, um, he would talk about some core idea, some core doctrine, and then talk about the fringes, the crazy things that you and I would be like, are you kidding me? There's no way people actually believe that. For me, it was this, um, this idea called transubstantiation. Uh, big word. Basically, it means that when you partake in communion and you eat the blood and drink the, uh, or excuse me, you eat the cracker that represents his body and then drink the juice represents his blood. When it enters your body, it actually changes into the body of Christ, into the blood of Jesus. Like physically it becomes um, blood and flesh. Super weird in my opinion, right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not something like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous, right? However, there's an entire religion called Catholicism that believes that, right? But guess what? This is what my professor would say. There are still Bible-believing Christians who believe that, and that's okay. Jesus still loves them, and we still love them, right? That can be applied not to just within religiosity, but that can be applied to the real world, the whole world, right? Yeah, they may be a Buddhist, or yeah, they may be gay. Yeah, they may, have, they may be a porn star, but guess what? They're still made in the image of God. We can still love them, right? Now, that looks different. Obviously, there's different ways to approach different people. Like I said, some are crappier than others. But there is still that uh, bare minimum, bare minimum. It may be just being polite. It may just mean, you know, celebrating a coworker that you have had fights with forever, and they get this job that they've been trying to, or a promotion that they've been striving for. Celebrate that, you know? That might be what it looks like to give them that level of uh, decency and respect, you know? It can manifest itself in many different ways, but they're still owed a certain level. Now, I'm really hungry, so I'm going to end it right now. <laughs> well, not right now, but we're, I'm going to land the plane. So finally, if you'll go ahead and uh, turn your, or go to your Bible to Luke chapter 15. I'm not even going to tell you what this story is because you're all going to recognize it immediately. Hopefully, if you're a good Christian, you will. I'm, I'm just joking. Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to jump around because it's kind of a long story. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. 
I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while, his, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. The story doesn't end there. Now his elder son was in the field, and where he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat, so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, came back, he was devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. We... As human beings, as, as humanity, we are the prodigal sons and daughters. We, that's us. We're the prodigal ones, right? However, there's two ways we can react as the prodigal son or prodigal daughter. Either we can stay in the pig pens, eating the slop, squandering our inheritance, realizing where did it all go wrong? Why am I here right now? Or... We can come to our senses and be like, what am I doing? I just need to go back to the Father. Now, those are two different things. However, there is something that never changes in that. Even if you're still in the pig pens, even if you're still squandering your inheritance on prostitutes, guess what? You're still a son or daughter of God. Your parentage does not change because of your circumstances. Okay? When someone sees a person in the pig pen, they will still recognize hey, aren't you the son of God? Aren't you the son of the man up on the hill who has everything? Why are you here in the pig pens? When he comes home, it doesn't say that God re reinstated him as a son because he wasn't. He said, my son has come home. He was dead. He was a dead son, but still my son, and is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found, right? That is, that is humanity right there in a nutshell. Now for us, finally going to tie it all back together. As believers, as members of this church, as this group, this is us, there are two ways we can act. We can either act like the brother who we just read, who refuses to acknowledge the God-given image, the sonship that, that the prodigal son has. And we can be in opposition to God, saying, no, I refuse. I don't, he did all these bad things. This, this, he doesn't deserve this. She doesn't deserve this. Or we can act like the Father, who we're called to be like, the Father being Jesus Christ, who looks on the hill and sees his son from far off and is filled with compassion 
because he sees that his son has come home. He doesn't see the bad stuff. Sure, it happened, but he looks past it. He, he wipes it away clean, right? Because he sees his son, his daughter. That's us. This is us. We celebrate each other. We celebrate everyone we come across. Every single day, we will celebrate people because they are made in the image of God just like us. They are sons like us. They are daughters like us. And if you don't like it, too bad. <laughs> All right? All right. Now we can eat. Yeah. But real quick, let's pray, and then we can eat. <sighs> Dear Lord, thank you very much that we can be here tonight. Thank you that this went somewhat smoothly for my first try. I hope people got stuff out of it, and I know they did. Um, I just ask that as we continue on tonight, that we enjoy each other's company. We celebrate each other. Um, bless the food. Bless the people who have prepared it, and let this be just a really fun night tonight, God. And um, thank you for everything that you've done, everything that you do, and everything that you will do. In your name we pray. Amen. As always, thanks for listening to the SMSC podcast. Here at Supper Club, we have a, such a high value for community. We would love for you to come check us out if you're ever in the Castle Rock, Colorado area. We meet every Saturday night. We have worship, fellowship. We hear an amazing message from one of these speakers. And we have a free meal that we serve. For more information, go to SaturdayNightSupperClub.org. Have a great week.